0: Hello and welcome to Sex Ed for Sex Med, a podcast produced by the Ohio Sexual Health Collaborative. This podcast is a must know curriculum of sexual medicine topics for those taking care of women. Our mission is to promote current and accurate evidence-based knowledge regarding the entire field of sexual medicine. Today we are talking about a problem that is neither rare or well known by providers, but is very harmful to sexual health we're discussing vulvar skin disorders. Please enjoy this podcast. Today we have uh, Kelly Tyler, who is uh, an assistant professor of dermatology at Ohio State University. And I'm so pleased because uh, Dr. Tyler is uh, double boarded in dermatology and gynecology. And uh, as a gynecologist, OBGYN, I could I could take a next, the next hour and ask her uh, so many questions about all those funny things that I saw as an obstetrician that showed up on women during their pregnancy and and beyond. But uh, today we're going to focus on uh, vulvar skin disorders and, and sexual health. And because this is an area where I'm just dumbfounded how much uh, is missed and, and how many uh, missed opportunities we have to help people with their sexual well-being. So welcome, Dr. Tyler. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And let's start off our conversation, if you would, with just giving a brief overview of of vulvar disorders and, and what we mean by that.
1: Okay. So when we talk about vulvar disorders, it's really anything that specifically affects the skin or the modified mucous membranes of the the genital skin in females or those assigned female at birth. We see a variety of things in our specialty vulvar clinic at Ohio State. Most of them are diseases such as lichen sclerosis and lichen planus, which cause texture changes in the skin, scarring. A lot of patients suffer from itching, pain. We also see lichen simplex chronicus, which is a type of eczema um, that causes an itch-scratch cycle on the vulva and can be very disturbing for folks who, obviously, you're itching all the time. You're out in public. You don't want to be scratching, and so a lot of people are embarrassed and and it affects their daily life. Uh, we do see some patients for vulvodynia. Uh, sometimes that's just a side effect of patients having some abnormal sensation in the vulvar area, and they're just not sure what it is. And part of what we do is ruling out a primary skin condition. Some of the other things we see are psoriasis of the vulva, which sometimes can primarily affect the genital skin, even without affecting the rest of the skin. And we also see some hidradenitis separativa, which is a condition that's genetic where people get painful nodules, draining sinuses in the skin folds. And normally they get them in the axilla and a lot of times the groin, but it can primarily involve the vulva as well.
0: Now yeah, I think it's obvious if if somebody just listened to you what uh negative impact this could have on on sexual well-being, but would you speak to that for just a minute?
1: So like you said, it's sort of obvious if someone's having itching in the genital area or they're having painful nodules or draining, how that could cause them not to want to have sexual intercourse. But some other things as far as a deeper level on the pathophysiology of these diseases, specifically lichen sclerosis, it causes a thinning of the skin, something called atrophy. And The skin becomes white, thin, it can bruise easily. These patients can get fissuring or breaks in the skin that are very painful. They also have a lot of itching. And then over time, if not caught early enough, they can have what I call loss of architecture or basically flattening out of the normal genital skin. So they lose some of the structures such as the labia minora, what, I explain to patients as the inner lips, as opposed to the outer hair bearing lips. And uh, if they go on long enough, it can cause a narrowing of the vaginal opening. So obviously functionally that can interfere with intercourse. Uh, the other one that I think of a lot is like in planus where patients get really painful ulcerations and erosions. Sometimes it's at the introitus, uh, sometimes it's further up in the vagina. And obviously, as those heal, they can scar, and so patients can get narrowing of the opening of the vagina, but they can also get shortening um, and closure of the top part of the vagina. So obviously, again, functionally, that can be a problem for patients.
0: People have written about, um, and I think the dermatologists have, have used this, uh, it's the genital self-image uh, measure. Could you speak to that?
1: Yes. So as physicians, I think we're just kind of trained to say, you know, there's a problem. Here's a treatment. Once you're treated, you're good. You know, let's just move on. But I think one of the things that I could do better at, and I think a lot of us could do better at, is what happens to this patient, you know, when they're doing just their daily activities? And and how does that affect their daily life? some people i think when i see patients are more bothered than others but i have many patients who are really bothered by the ab, what they consider and what you would consider based on a textbook to be an abnormal appearance of the vulva so it's discolored uh, it can be the structures can be lost things are flattened out and some of them are are quite embarrassed and they don't want anyone to see how abnormal their vulva looks. And even though their partner may not care, it's their image that, you know, it's embarrassing to them. And they don't want anyone to look at their genitals because they're not quote right.
0: It seems like that's going to be as much of a difficulty, if not more than the itching or the pain. Do Do you find that to be the case?
1: That's true. For the most part, itching and pain, those things are, I would say, easily fixed. But with good treatment and adequate follow up, we can really get those things under good control. But what we can't do necessarily is regrow structures that are lost or without surgery, open up the vaginal canal or increase the caliber of the vaginal opening. So we have these long-term effects, even of treated disease that are long lasting for the patient.
0: Now the the, the killer question is, is- why are these missed so often? I mean, it's so second nature to you, but oh my God, what? why do we all see and we read about people waiting five years or 10 years to get this discovered and treated?
1: So I think there are two different things going on here uh, from a medical perspective. And I can say this because I trained in gynecology and practice general gynecology before I went back to dermatology residency I can say there's so many things you need to train in when you're an OBGYN resident, right? You, know how to, you need to know how to deliver babies. You need to know how to do hysterectomies. You need to manage obstetric emergencies. So you're so focused on all of those things. So, something like vulvar disease takes a backseat. And not every place has a specialist in vulvar disease. For instance, I went to UAB in Birmingham and we had someone who focused on vaginitis And he was the physician who gave the lecture every year on skin disease, on the vulva. But that's what we got. We got one lecture every year. And you can't learn these skin diseases without seeing them over and over. And that's part of dermatology residency is being able to look at something and identify it, even if it's subtle to catch something early. And so in turn, that's not really anyone's fault as far as from a physician's or a practitioner's perspective. It just isn't something that they see a lot or they've been taught a lot. If you look at the percentages, these diseases are fairly rare, maybe 2% or less of the population. And when I did general OBGYN, I maybe had one or two patients a year with lichen sclerosis. And then, you know, kind of flipping through my book to see what I'm supposed to give them. Oh, clobetazole. Okay. You know, is that an ointment? Is that a cream? What am I supposed to do? So that kind of leads into why I did this because I realized I was getting referrals from dermatologists and I was a gynecologist who didn't get a lot of training in this. And that led me to think who's out there doing this. And I think, you know, dermatologists are trained to look at the skin, but some of them also don't feel that comfortable with genital exams. Right. Right from a patient perspective, these are really embarrassing. In the past, I think people didn't talk about itching or genital problems as much. The good news is things are taking a turn in society. And I think people discuss these more, you know, I have patients who come in and say, my girlfriends and I were having lunch and I happen to bring up lichen sclerosis. And it turns out one of them has it. And we had a conversation about it. But if you're someone who's you know itching and scratching and you're running in the bathroom at work cuz you're really itchy and you don't want your coworkers to know, maybe you don't want your family to know. Maybe you're embarrassed to see a physician. And that was part of the paper I I submitted for this interview was people who don't feel comfortable even approaching a physician about their problem. And I can't tell you how many times I have someone just come in for a skin exam. And I happen to mention, Hey, do you have anything you want me to look at in the genital area? And after a minute or so, you know, they're kind of squirming in their seat, looking a little uncomfortable. They might say, well, yeah, now that you mentioned it, they weren't going to bring it up. But since I mentioned it, I've had some itching or I had this spot or something's going on that isn't normal there.
0: Well, I, I, I think that's great. I think that um, let's take a few moments and talk about and educate our audience. And I think if we could start with maybe looking at a differential diagnosis, I mean, there's itching and then there's pain and there could be both. How how do you break it down?
1: So visually, I think being a dermatologist, looking at the patient visually and doing an exam is the best thing I can do. but there is a differential based on what their primary symptom is. For instance, if someone has vulvar itching, if they're postmenopausal, not that lichen sclerosis can't happen before menopause, but for the majority of patients, it's after menopause. If they're postmenopausal, one of the things that pops in my mind first is, do they have lichen sclerosis? Because there are patients who don't have itching, but 99% 0.9% of my patients with lichen sclerosis have itching. So if they are itching and they're a postmenopausal, lichen sclerosis is probably at the top of my list that I'm thinking about. Now they will sometimes complain of pain because the skin gets thin and it will fissure or break. Um, some of my patients also call it blood blisters because they'll get this, what we call purpura in dermatology, but you know, just the bleeding under the skin. So they can have those things but for the most part itching is brings to mind lichen sclerosis in a younger patient the most common cause of itching is lichen simplex chronicus or a type of eczema and that often gets misdiagnosed as yeast or i've had people come in and they get treated for yeast over and over and over and sometimes they'll get some temporary relief because something like fluconazole does have an anti-inflammatory effect and they might feel like they're getting some relief of itching, but we're really not treating the underlying cause. And those are the patients who are going to have the itch-scratch cycle. So they tell you it itches, and so they scratch it. And it feels good temporarily to scratch it, but then it makes it itch more. And they just, that's the person who's running to the bathroom at work because they just can't stop itching. When we talk about pain, uh, after menopause, one of the things I think of most often is like in planus. And this disease was sort of a mystery to me because it's even more rare in the genital area than lichen sclerosis. And they sort of mention it during a lecture when you're an OBGYN resident and you're like, what is that really? Uh, But in the genital area, especially in women after menopause, it causes these ulcers, erosions. And then as they heal, they scar. So people will have a feeling of rawness. Uh, They're going to have a lot of pain in the area. So that is where an exam kind of can tell you what's going on, but you need to make sure you look in the vagina because as opposed to like in sclerosis, they can also have erosions in the vagina. The last thing I'll mention about pain is sometimes, and this is a diagnosis of exclusion, when you the patient has vulvar pain and you look and everything looks normal, then that puts you in the category of, do they actually have vulvodynia? which we now in in they these days consider it to be more of a neuropathic issue with the skin. So you're not going to see any changes um, but they're going to have usually significant amounts of pain with that.
0: So you obviously um don't stop at infectious causes for, uh, the itching, but you go beyond that and, and look at the skin. And I think in my experience, that's where so many OBGYNs miss it. They always figure this is yeast or something, but how do you work this up? People are always talking about, um, should we biopsy or not biopsy, or can we just, um, you know, look at it and assume by the way it looks that it's, uh, one thing or another. What, what do you say about biopsies?
1: If you have enough experience treating these diseases, you may not need to biopsy. But I will say you can't go wrong with a biopsy. I have been fooled before. For instance, I had a patient with lichen simplex chronicus. We got her better she shows up a year later itching again. I rebiopsy of her and she actually had lichen sclerosis underlying lichen simplex chronicus because she, she itched so much. Then she scratched, she developed kind of a condition on top of a condition, but this is something I took away from my GYN residency is if you're not sure what it is, you really can't go wrong by taking a tissue sample and sending it to the pathologist. I think where people go wrong with biopsies is you have to make sure you get it to the right kind of pathologist if you're biopsying skin. And that's where your dermatopathologist comes in handy. One of the mistakes I see a lot is people will take a sample of uh, maybe the labia labium magus, you, you know, they're biopsying that area and they send it to the general pathologist, which not to disparage general pathologists, but they don't look at a lot of skin like dermatopathologists do, and they send it off as vulva biopsy. Well, that's what we call garbage in, garbage out. You are (laughs) giving the pathologist no information. You're just saying, here's a piece of skin, look at it and tell me what's going on. So two things you need to do. You need to put your differential on there. You know, 59-year-old female with genital pruritus and whitening of the skin or whatever you see on her exam, real lichen sclerosis versus, you know, lichen simplex chronicus, whatever, you know, put something, put some information at least so they have something to go on. And then if you're lucky enough, which most people are, or you can send it out to have a dermatopathologist at your hospital or somewhere nearby or at an academic center, you can send it to, definitely send it to the dermatopathologist because you're going to get I'll say more bang for your buck as far as what's really going on, because sometimes the general pathologist will send back and say, no cancer, which that's great, but it doesn't really (laughs) help you with what really the skin disease is. Um,
0: We, we talk about uh, dermatosis in menopause women. And of course that's a time when genital urinary syndrome of menopause is so common and um i think at that time i think the mistake i've seen so much is that people want to treat for the gsm only mm-hmm. and uh, what would you tell uh, a gynecologist or or people examining women um who a woman who is menopausal how to sort that out
1: yeah it's a really astute question because i've seen it go both ways actually so we, we do get referrals for patients and they've been told they have lichen sclerosis, but what they really have is vulvovaginal atrophy uh, due to menopause. So you can kind of see that it it can it can be either side of the story. I think you can't go wrong uh, with treating atrophy because a lot of patients who have things like lichen sclerosis, lichen planus also have atrophy because uh, due to lack of estrogen just because they're postmenopausal. But really what you want to look for is there's some other change. So does it look like they're, you know, their labia minor are just pale? You know, maybe it's just uh, they, they, their vagina is not well estrogenized. Or do they actually have some skin texture changes that are pretty obvious? Uh, like in sclerosis, it'll be white. Um, the, the classic thing, which maybe isn't politically correct anymore, is cigarette paper, kind of like a thin... Cigarette paper, um, you know, atrophic, like I said, they might have the little blood blisters, which we call purpura. They might have the splits in the skin or fissuring. So it's not just going to be, you know, the modified mucous membranes or labia minora or pale, or the vagina is not well estrogenized. It's going to be a little bit more as far as there's going to be some more abnormalities on your exam.
0: Can you have both. Yes. Okay. So Let's talk about treatment. So how would you treat that? You mentioned clebatazole as a a steroid that you'd use for some of these. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: How do you treat that?
1: For lichen sclerosis, really the mainstay of treatment is an ultra potent topical steroid. And in the derm world, we are familiar with all the steroids. If you don't use steroids a lot, you're kind of like, what are all these different names? So I try to break it down for my, my GYN residents that come to clinic. Keep it simple, pick one or two that you use consistently and that way you don't have to, it doesn't get murky on which one you, you, you use. So the two ultra potent topical steroids I use are clobetasol ointment and then augmented beta methazone ointment, which by the way is different than regular beta methazone ointment because it's augmented, it's stronger. I always use ointments because you can imagine if your skin's broken down, it's fissured, it's inflamed. Maybe this person has excoriations and open areas from scratching. If you put a cream with alcohol on the base or a gel, it's really going to burn. And guess what? They're not going to use it. So then they're not going to get treated. I do warn patients that sometimes if the skin's really damaged and broken down, anything they put on it might burn but ointments are going to be much less. The other thing you have to tell your patients is it's not a lot. So if you just give them, the other mistake I sometimes see is you're not really sure to do what to do. You don't treat it that much. So you just give them a cream or ointment you say, okay, put this on twice a day. Well, you can't really do that because you don't want to put it everywhere on the vulva because then you're going to cause some side effects. You also don't want to be scared to use topical steroids because if you don't use enough, you're not going to treat the patient adequately enough. So what I tell patients is it's a pea or half pea size amount. Massage it around the vaginal opening, the perineum, if it's it's involving the perianal area, a little bit down there. So you can see that much is not a lot. It shouldn't feel greasy after they apply it. And then what I tell them is don't get it out where the hair is. Don't get it out on the hair-bearing areas. First of all, that's not really where lichen sclerosis presents. It's going to be more like the labia minora, the introitus, the perineum. Second of all, when you start getting out into the hair-bearing area and the groin folds, those areas are more prone to thinning from topical steroids. I like to use mirrors, demonstration, Some of these patients aren't used to looking at their genitals. Maybe they have some mobility issues. So you really need to make sure they understand how much to use and exactly where to use it before they leave your office. You also have to do some pretty close follow-up. So what I do is I have them use it twice a day, morning and night for about six to eight weeks. I bring them back. You're going to see the texture of the skin getting back closer to normal. So, you're, I tell them, I can't regrow the structures, right? If you've had some loss of labia minora, I can't regrow that. But we can get your skin back to close to normal texture. And then, once we're accomplishing that, sometimes I'll go down to once a day for a few months. And then, maintenance treatment is two to three times a week of just that little half, um, half P size of topical steroids.
0: For good. You said long term. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So some of my patients will say, well, once you treat it, we're good, right? I mean, I don't have it anymore, which is not true. This is a chronic condition. And if we don't do maintenance treatment, two things, well, several things can happen. They can flare back up, they can worsen. So those very severe long term lichen sclerosis cases that people look up online where the entroitis is almost closed off. So if you don't maintain the results, they they can get really bad. And then third of all is a higher risk of skin cancer or VIN in these patients. We don't think it's super high. It's 3 to 5%. But if you look at the, the rates of vulvar cancer, it's probably less than 1%, right, for the whole population. So that's significantly increased. And there have been studies showing that if we do maintenance treatment two or three times a week with a, a potent topical steroid, we think we get that risk down to zero percent. So that's really the main thing I tell them: is you you have to prevent cancer. You you want to prevent ups and downs. And although we have it under control, that doesn't mean it's gone.
0: Well, that's great to hear about the uh, uh, decreasing the the incidence of of cancer. Another diagnosis that I think is so hard for a, a, an obgyn is just the contact dermatitis. And I read that a lot of the paritis, the itching is a dermatitis and not even uh, a, a dermatosis. So uh, how, how do you rule that out? That's tough for me.
1: Yeah. So I guess I'm lucky that my other specialty area within dermatology is allergic contact dermatitis. And the reason I did that is because allergic contact dermatitis does have a pretty high incidence in these patients with genital dermatoses, either men or women or those who identify as men or women. Uh, So it can be a little hard because sometimes you have a problem on top of a problem. I'll give an example of a patient with lichen sclerosis and really bad uh, irritant dermatitis from urinary incontinence. So she's wearing pads, they're rubbing, you know, she's getting a lot of redness and irritation. And she was putting aquaphor every day on this, which for the most part in dermatology, we say it's okay, but contains lanolin, which is a potential contact allergen. And so over time she became sensitized and we couldn't get her dermatitis better because she was putting something she was allergic to on it, which she might not have been in the beginning, but she developed that. So what you want to look for, if you're treating somebody and you're doing everything by the textbook and and they're just not getting better and they're having a lot of itching, a lot of times they'll have kind of a red, a red rash. Sometimes they'll have blisters or vesicles, but a lot of times because of the friction, those will erode. So they'll have erosions there and open areas of the skin. And if it sort of looks geometric, right? So say uh, they have a rash right where their pad would hit mm-hmm. or maybe right where they're putting something on it as far as a topical, that's when you want to kind of think, do they have allergic contact dermatitis? And sometimes it's something I've caused, you know, maybe I've given them clebatazole and people can actually develop allergies to topical steroids. So I think the rule of thumb for me is If I feel like I'm giving them a good treatment that works for most everyone, but they're not getting better, then we need to look at a a contact dermatitis. And the way we diagnose that is something called patch testing. So they come in, we have little chambers, uh, little like metal chambers we fill with a, a sample of a potential allergen and we tape them on their back. It's usually about 80 things and they wear them for 48 hours. They take them off at home, you know, mark them out. And then on day five, I read them. So if the if it's read and raised within the circle, I know they're allergic to that. And then we start looking at their products and say, what is it in that they're using? And then we give them safe products without that chemical or substance to use. And
0: hey, that's great. Well, <laughs> that's beyond um, our pay grade, I think. So <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll get to know some more dermatologists, I think. So, right. you know, I... I Again, to, to help colleagues and especially learners uh, develop good habits. I know for a lot of people, if they hear, oh, Mrs. So-and-so has vaginal itching, what do you want me to do? And people just oh send her in this or send her in that to give me a, a an approach. Um, somebody calls the office and says, I've I've got this itching, what would you, what would your one, two, three step be to to, to to go through things and, and not miss infectious reasons, but then not miss what we've been talking about.
1: Right. So I guess I'll think of myself back, you know, when I was a general gynecologist, you, what, what would I do? And what would I do if I could go back in time and be a general gynecologist again um, without this training? Um. So first of all, one of my partners, Dr. Bartholomew says, you know, the vagina doesn't itch. If someone's itching, it's, probably actually on the vulva. And they can get itching on the vulva from a yeast infection. I think I have the luxury of, by the time people have gotten to me, the infectious things have been ruled out. But it's definitely something you wanna look at. You know, Someone calls in with itching. One of the things we do a lot, even for our established patients that we're treating for skin disease is a yeast screen. So you're actually sending out the culture or the screen and it can tell you if it's Candida or you know what what subspecies it is. And you can you know if you want to do a vaginitis panel that that includes other things like you know gonorrhea, chlamydia, trichomonas. I think that's a reasonable thing to do first. The bad thing is if you just assume. And I know we're all busy, and I do this too in dermatology. Somebody calls in, and I say, "Well, just send them in some some steroids, some prednisone, and, and their rash will get better." but the mistake is if you don't see them, you could be missing something besides a yeast infection or something infectious that's causing their itching. So you really need to get them in, maybe rule out the infection first. If there's nothing there and it's not working, then you need to really take a close look at the skin and see, is there something going on that's on the skin that's causing itching? Uh, ask them what they're using on the vulva because you, uh, you'd be surprised what people will put on their genitals. I've had people spray and bug spray, you know, people using Lysol, all sorts Whoa. of things. Okay. When people are mentioning, they get desperate. They put a lot of stuff on their genitals. Wow. Um, so you have to ask what they're using. Maybe it's a product or something that's irritating. Uh, the other thing is always pads. I say never use always because that nylon lining is really irritating. Do they have incontinence and they're, they have urine that's irritating the skin so there are a whole host of things uh, that can be going on that can cause irritation or itching that may not actually be, you know, lichen planus or lichen sclerosis. And I think the other part of the puzzle is no, you don't know. The other thing we see happen is, oh, well, we did a yeast test and it was negative and they're itching. So I'm just going to give them some clebatazole. <laughs> but you know, if they don't really have something that warrants that treatment, you might be causing unwarranted side effects and you don't know what you're treating. And sometimes people get to us and they've been putting steroids on. And then by the time they get to us we're like, well, we don't even know you know, what it looked like before they started putting this on. So if you're not sure, you know, consult someone wants to take a look at it.
0: Good. Okay. That's uh, what's, that's great. 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 Uh, gems of wisdom. For, you know, our parting shots, what what great pearl would you drop in the laps of our learners?
1: So I would say, first of all, know what you're treating and don't be afraid to biopsy someone if you're not sure. Secondly, if you are treating something like lichen in, like in sclerosis, make sure you educate the patient and do adequate follow-up. And if you don't have the ability to do that, you know, you're too busy, you do a lot of obstetrics, you don't have time to, to follow these patients in clinic, find someone who, who specializes, who, who can, can do that. Don't just throw anything at the patient. You know, Just don't throw steroids at them uh, for a presumed diagnosis. And if you are using something like topical steroids or topicals, Use an ointment, an ointment base, because things like creams, gels, they're really going to burn and then your patient is not going to get treated. They're not going to trust you and they're not going to come back and they're not going to get better. The final pearls, I will say, is if they're not getting better and you think you're doing the right treatment, don't be afraid to biopsy them or biopsy them again if you've already done it. And then think about the risk of cancer in these patients with long-term lichen sclerosis and lichen planus. If it's someone who has a a new painful area, something just doesn't seem right, maybe they have an ulceration or a, a, a thickened area that looks, you know, a growth that just doesn't look normal, you know, biopsy to rule out squamous cell carcinoma, because those can have a higher risk of developing in these
0: patients. Well, again, thank you so much. Uh, this is uh, a talk that I've really looked forward to hearing because uh, I just see people miss so much. And I'm excited that you could inform people what to look for, even if they don't treat it, like you said, uh, get find, find a colleague that does. So thank you and, and have a wonderful rest of your day. And we, again, we appreciate your expertise.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Sex Ed for Sex Med. Please find the articles used in today's discussion in the show notes for further study. Also, you will find the contact information for our expert today.